start with a word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll go to work. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you so much once again for Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day. We thank you for sending your spirit that comes and dwells us, empowers us. We thank you for your word that teaches us. We thank you for your spirit that moves as we read, that helps us understand the truth that you've written for us. We just ask that as we spend time this morning in Proverbs and we continue to think about some of the truth that's found here, that we would come to the text honestly, that we would uh, first apply it to ourselves and then we would pray for our neighbors, uh, that they would then also apply this truth to their heart. We are so very thankful for a church family that we can come and we can share life with uh, each other, that we have a support system that encourages us and, and helps us. We're just so very thankful for everything that you've blessed us with, and we just ask your blessing on this time, and we say this in your son's name, amen. All right, so uh, I don't know if you've heard any of these sayings. I'm going to read a whole bunch of them. Uh, maybe you've heard them. If so, great. If not, I, I'm happy that I'm the one that introduces you to some of these. The first one, 90% of parenting is thinking about when I get to sleep next. Yeah. All right, here's the next one. You know... Your life has changed because of children when you go to the grocery store by yourself and consider it a vacation. How about this one? 75% of every parent's caloric intake each day comes from licking peanut butter off of knives. Every parenting horror story starts with, I stepped away for like two seconds. I like this one. Uh, when I was growing up, I always wondered why they called them throw pillows. Then I had kids, and my response was, oh. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, they, my kids were all having fun and getting along. It was the best two and a half minutes of my entire summer. I like this one as well. Uh, buying your child a gold, goldfish is a great way to teach them responsibility for about 24 hours. I like this one. This one probably isn't as funny, but I like it. We would all love to be Pinterest parents, but it's okay if we turn out to be Amazon Prime parents. Got a couple more for you. Our children are the future, not my children, other children, better children. This is my favorite one. At bedtime, all children become dehydrated philosophers who need a hug. We all laugh because there's some truth to each one of those statements, right? Uh, we all get the idea that parenting is hard. It's a lot of hard work, and it's hard for lots of reasons. One, you have parents who are sinful and selfish and need to mature, raising children who are the same. So you have a group of sinners trying to live with each other, and, and that, that makes things very difficult. It, it makes it very difficult because there's lots of times where kids will act in a way that, that you've acted, and as you're disciplining your kids, you realize, 
I really just did the same exact thing and they watched me do it. It's difficult because as parents, I am, as a parent, I'm learning every day about, about my children, how to train them, how to raise them. And as I'm learning, they're learning. So we're all learning together. That, that, that constant transition always makes it very difficult for, for a parent, right? Makes the situation incredibly difficult. We could say this, one of the reasons why it's becoming so difficult uh, to parent even in today's age, I'm sure this is probably true throughout all ages, but we are living through a massive cultural shift, right? The world that I grew up as a kid is foreign to the life that my kids are living now. When When I tell my kids that we used to have phones attached to the wall and cords and you had to memorize people's number, to them, that is like, how did that even exist? How did you even do that? When, when I told them there was no such thing as the internet, I had a class in fifth grade on how to use Google. To them, Google is a reality, right? I grew up before there was massive, massive internet, right? For me, the biggest problem during my summer was trying to perfect my swing and become the best second baseman I could for Little League, right? My world was very small. All of my friends were the kids of my parents' friends. Today, that, that is a completely different world. It's a foreign world. It's unfortunate. We, we, try to keep, we try to shelter our kids and keep them innocent as long as they possibly can, but you have to realize that kids have access to far more things than I ever did as a kid. And all of these influences and all of this changing culture, better for worse, is making parenting harder. It just seems like it's hard, right? It's always been hard, and it's hard now because who do you go to to say, hey, my kid's spending too much time on TikTok? Who do you go to? I go to my parents, and they go, what's TikTok? Makes things difficult, right? Parenting is hard. It's always been hard, and it's hard But I think that God would want us as believers who believe in the word, who worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to be good parents, to to be diligent parents, to train our children correctly. And this morning, we're going to start a section in the book of Proverbs that deals with parenting. It's really the way that the section ends. So we're in Proverbs 22. Really, the section in Proverbs 22 goes from verse 6 all the way down to the end uh, of verse 16. We're only going to focus on verse 6 this morning. Next week, we'll kind of go over some of the other issues found in verse 7 all the way down to verse 16. But I just felt like we needed to stop here and and talk just about verse 6. So just notice what Proverbs 22, 6 says. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this isn't necessarily a new concept for us in the book of Proverbs. Remember, we started the book of Proverbs, and it started with this image in the first ten chapters that dealt with a person walking down a a marketplace of ideas. And you you had this one person, and he was to listen to his parents, and we dealt with children and parents at that beginning part of the book of Proverbs, right? That first section in the first ten verses. Then we got to to the second section of the book of Proverbs, which we're coming to the end of, right? So from 10 to to 22 
is this section of here's what a wise person does and here's what a foolish person does. We're coming to the end of that section. This is the largest section in the book of Proverbs, and we've done it. We've made this mammoth trek through every single one of them. And it ends with thinking about how we train the next generation, right? So this whole thing is, what what does the wise do now? What does the fool do now? What does the wise do? What does the fool do? Now we're looking at what does wise parenting look like? What are some of the lessons that we should teach our children? So it starts here in verse 6 with train a child in the way he shall go and he'll never depart from it. We're really going to talk about two things from this text. The first is the first clause, the training of a child, right? So how do we train our children? That's what we're going to talk about, this word training and training in which they should go. So that's going to be the first part. The second part is going to be uh, the principle. This is not, a, this is not a, a promise. This is a principle. And the principle is if you do what you're supposed to do as a parent, it is likely that they will continue in those things. It's not a guarantee. I'm sure there's plenty of people in this room that trained their children to the best of their ability, uh, taught them in the ways of the Lord, and when they got older, guess what? They didn't stay with it, and they turned away. And, and I imagine that's incredibly heartbreaking. Incredibly heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when my kids are disobedient to God. I, I, I can't imagine uh, as, uh, watching an, an adult child do that. So this is a principle This is saying all things being equal, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is supposed to be the desired outcome, okay? So notice the first part of the training in verse 6. It says, train a child. It's kind of an interesting word because there's really not an English word that captures the Hebrew, right? The Hebrew is such a big term, and it's really hard just to give one word. So it's hard to have just one word for one word. The word does have this aspect of training, of cultivating, of leading, of teaching. But the word is also used in like Deuteronomy chapter 20. It's, it's used in 1 Kings chapter 8. It's used in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when talking about people dedicating things to, to the temple, d- dedicating something to the Lord. And so what you have here in this, in this verse is train a child is really this action of dedicating that child to the Lord, saying, this is your child, Lord. This is yours. You gave me this child as a gift. I am to steward this child, and then I'm to release this child, and it's yours. It's not mine. It's not, they're my kid, but it's really your kid. I'm dedicating this one to you for your honor and for your glory, and I'm going to train them in a way so that when I come, when it comes time for me to to let them go, uh, t- time for them to live their life, they will know how to be pleasing to God, honoring and glorifying him. That's the idea behind this word training. Okay, So it has the equal parts dedication, equal parts teaching. i got to stop here, by the way, and just say this. All of us parents, we must, we must have in our mind at all times... The goal that I want for my children is that they grow up to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Hands down. I want want Jesus to be honored in their life. Whatever that means, wherever they go, that's what I want. I'm dedicating them to the Lord. 
And, and I'm training them and teaching them so that when they're by themselves, they're able to do that. They have the necessary skills to do that. They have the training, and I spent time with them, teaching them this is what it's about. I remember when I was a youth worker, and uh, I would deal with parents in, in youth group, and kids would get in trouble, and so on and so forth. There was numerous times where parents would say that their goal was that their kids would grow up and get a a well-paying job. And and as much as we want success for our children, I think it's as important as us as parents to go to our children and say, you know what? I don't care what career you have when you grow up. I don't care where you live. I don't care how many zeros come after the first number. All I want is for you to do what God wants for you. I want you to honor and glorify him Whatever that looks like, right? Sometimes we as parents, we get so overzealous for our kids, and we have so much expectations for our kids, and we, have, we put things on our kids. And even some people have said to me, well, what about Ezra, you know, your son? He, he, he pretends to preach a lot. Are, are you going to let him in on the family business? As if I have an option to train him to be a pastor and call him to the pastorate. And my response is, no, that's something that God calls him to do. God calls him to that. I don't do that. I I don't encourage my children to say, if you don't go into full-time ministry, you don't love Jesus. The the idea is that you have to be obedient to what God calls you to do. And if if that calling means that he's just a faithful servant in the area where he's called, and he's flipping burgers for the rest of his life, living in an apartment, but he loves the Lord and he lives for the Lord. Amen. Amen. And as parents, we got to have that idea that that's the goal, that they grow up to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we don't push them to be the best. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't give them sound financial advice. But that is always a secondary, right? We should teach our children to live well, not to make a good living, Okay. And I think that's the, that's the idea behind this word of dedication and train. It, it has that focus of this is going to be used by the Lord. This child is going to be used by the Lord. I have a moment with them, and, and my job is to teach them so that when they grow up, that they'll be able to then live for the Lord and live in his wisdom. That's the idea of training. We, we, must, we must say to them, man, I really want you to live for Jesus, Right? Now, this word for child is, once again, a really kind of ambiguous term. It just means kid, so train up a kid. And I guess it depends who you ask, the age of this kid in this text. Um, I I think we can make a wide general statement that this kid, this training of this kid, uh, a lot of the old rabbis would say that this started from the moment that they're born to about 24 years old. Okay, huge target, right? I think the idea is train a kid when, when, when you have opportunity with him. But notice, notice the training, though, right? Because this is where, where it's really important. Train up a child, dedicate this child, want, want this child to honor and glorify the Lord. So train a child, and notice, in the way he should go. There's not multiple ways, friends. There's not multiple ways. There's one way. Train him in the way he should go. The way is God's wisdom. It's what we've been learning in the book of Proverbs. 
the, the, the sense you get from the book of Proverbs coming up to this point is a wise parent is taking their children through what we just learned. God's wisdom, how to understand God's word, how to apply God's word, discernment, all of those things that are necessary. So, so it's to point them in the way that they should go and train them. Now, we are incredibly blessed that God would not only just give us this command and, just, and not say to us, figure it out, good luck. He does give us a, a lot of texts that help us with our understanding of what does this mean to teach our children? What does this look like? And he gives us some models. And I just want to kind of look at some of these on the training of a child in the way that they should go. Notice first in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Really important chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses, uh, God gives to Moses this really important statement about, about his law, uh, about how, how you're supposed to love God and fear God, and, and this idea of, of who he is. Hero Israel is your God, your God is one. This huge theological statement, right, of, of the law, right? So just notice, I said verse 6, but, but you've got to start up in verse 4. Notice he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Right. So this is the main command. The main command. All of the law, all of the law rests on this, the love for God. And notice this love for God, it takes an entire person. Right. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart. This is your goals, your desires, what you love. Right. And with all your soul, this is where you make decisions, right? This is the part of you that, 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 that's your personality. And then might is all of your physical strength. So, so you have this, you have to love God with everything you have, every faculty you have, every strength you have. All of that is, it goes into loving God and serving God. That, that's the command. And, and then notice what he then says next, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This isn't talking about tattooing it on your skin. This is a metaphorical phrase to mean that it needs to be on your mind a lot. This is something that becomes part of you. It becomes part of the way you think, the way you reason. It just becomes you, right? It pumps through your veins. It's the central part of you. If, if anyone talks with you and, and, and they, they, they start to listen to, the, to your answers, the thing that overwhelmingly comes out is, I, I want to please the Lord. It, it becomes quite obvious because that's where your heart is. That's where your passion is. That's your desire. Okay? That, that's the sense here, the, the desire. It's on your heart. It, it's something that's really important. It, it's the most important. And he says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, in training your children, I think this is a very important principle here. Notice in verse 6, the idea is all these things I command you shall be on your heart. And those things that are on your heart that I commanded you, you shall teach your children. Important part. If you're going to train your children in the way of God's wisdom, you must be walking in God's wisdom. 
It starts with the parents. It starts with the parents' walk with the Lord. We, we should be the ones that are mature in our faith, walking. We should be the ones that are taking God's word and the principles found in God's word and interpreting them correctly and applying them to our lives and living them out in front of our children. It starts with us. It, it starts with us and our desire to do this. It, it, start, it starts with us because we're the leaders. The, the, that we, we're the leaders in the house. I, I, w- I would say that it ultimately starts with the father. The father sets the tone. He sets the tone for the house. He sets the spiritual tone for the house. I find that the fathers who are excited about the things of the Lord, excited about serving the Lord, excited about reading their Bible, excited about memorizing and praying, excited about doing things with God's people, the family normally goes along with that. They adopt that attitude. Isn't it great that we get to go to church today? Amen, Dad. This is our best, this is our favorite time. I find when the father is cynical, when the father is, oh, I don't want to go there. You know what that person did. They parked in my parking spot, blah, blah, blah. They drive Fords. They're supposed to drive Chevys, blah, 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 blah. They read the wrong version. Everything's a complaint. Every, everything, is, everything is bad. Everything is the worst. And we, we got to serve the Lord because we got to. We got to go to church because we got to. Or, or, or we, we, can, we can miss some spiritual things in our life because other things are important. That communicates to children. So it starts with the leadership setting the tone for the house, right? It starts there. It starts with leadership. And so when, when training your child, it's got to start with the parent first. This has to be something that's exemplified and clearly seen in the parents. That, God's, that following God is not just a part-time thing we do on the weekend. That following God is something that we do every day because it's that important to us. We don't go to church just to fill some quota. We go to church because that's what Christians do. We want to be around God's people and we want to talk about the Lord. We read the Bible not because I have to and it's on my reminder. It's something that I want to do because I want to spend time with the Lord. That's the sense. That, that's where the parents have to be. And then once the parents are there, well, the parents are supposed to do this regardless. It's kind of assumed that the parents are doing this. And as the parents are doing this, in verse 7, it's then to teach them diligently. Once again, parenting is not part-time. We don't farm this stuff out. The, the, the training of children relies on the parents. And it is the parents' responsibility to be diligent in teaching the children the word of God and God's wisdom. Teaching them how to read God's word, how to apply God's word, and the things that are necessary to live for the Lord. If I may go from preaching to meddling here. If I may. If I haven't already, I'm going to do it now. I find that most parents are strictly concerned that their children come to know Jesus. And that's it. My task was simply to be an evangelistic tool in the life of my children. Now I'm done. Now, now I get to work with them on math and all these other things. And then everybody else does the work. 
all, my, all, all God required of me was that they know salvation. That is wrong. It is sinful. It is the job of the parents to, yes, teach salvation, but also to teach the other parts as well. The parents are the first Bible college in the life of children. That is it. That is our job. Our job is to teach the children theology, to teach them the word, to teach them how to apply it. It ends with us. The buck starts and stops with the parents. This is our responsibility. It doesn't mean that other people can't help out. It doesn't mean that settings like this are not important. But what it does mean is you are the primary spiritual leader in the children's life. And you must be diligent in teaching them every day in and day out, right? And notice what he says next, to teach these things diligently to your children, right? And, he's, and notice, notice the, the areas in verse 7. It says, you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is a poetic way of saying all the time. When you're sitting around loafing, that's a great opportunity to teach your kids. What about when you're traveling? It's a great time to teach your kids. What about right before bed? Great time to teach your kids. What about, what about, when, what about when they wake up? Great time to teach their kids, right? It, the, the idea is every moment is an opportunity in teaching and in training. And a parent looks at each of those moments and goes, I have a responsibility and a stewardship given to me by the creator, God. This is my worship to him. All the time. And notice what it says in verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall, uh, they shall be frontals before your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, I, I don't think Solomon meant this to be literal. I think this is also continually uh, very poetic. The, the idea is, is that everything you're doing, it, it's always on the forefront of your mind. It's always on the forefront of what you're doing. Your house Every time that you enter the house, you're thinking about it. Every time you're doing something with your hands, you're, you're, you're doing this, you're teaching. Every time it's on the forefront of your mind, you're thinking about it. Later on, Jews took this pretty literally. In fact, you can find Jews today that take this absolutely literally. When they spend time in prayer, they wrap something around their arms and they have something on their forehead and they'll write this verse on their doorpost and you'll find a little box on their doorpost that they, that they kiss and they touch every time they walk in. I, I don't think this is some sort of like magic formula of you just get this tattooed to your arm and you write this on the doorpost of your house, all of a sudden God's just going to bless you. This is something that we take serious and, and every time I'm working with my hands, how can I be teaching my children God's word? Every time I'm thinking about it, how can I teach? Every time I walk in and out of my house. There's another passage, Deuteronomy 11. Go with me to Deuteronomy 11. Notice in verse 18. It says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Oh, what a, what a great phrase. You shall lay these up. Once again, this is something about internalizing God's word, making this a part of your life. This is something a part of the way you think, the way you act, your goals, right? 
And then notice what it is. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command to you, loving the Lord God and walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess, you will, uh, dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you. Now, obviously, this promise is to the Jews and, and was to the Jews at the time of the law. As believers, um, we're not given a land. We're not given a homeland, a special place between the Euphrates and the Mediterranean Sea that we say, that's ours. If we follow the Lord, we get it all. But the principle is sound. The principle is sound that if you follow God's law, it's better off for you and for your children. That there is a better quality of life a longevity of life, and there are things that a family that follows the Lord will not fall into opposed to families that do not follow the Lord. And so once again, notice, once again, notice that the parents are to internalize God's word, teach them, and to be diligent. Go with me to Deuteronomy 32. Notice what it says in verse 46. It says, And he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. You see that? Throughout the entire book. This is is Moses' last sermon on earth. This is his last sermon series, right? Five sermons in this book repeatedly it is teach your children teach your children teach your children this is an important important truth right there's some principles that are found in the new testament for parenting and i want to remind us of those so go with me to the book of ephesians the last part of the book of ephesians as paul is discussing in ephesians 5 he's discussing uh, what a life looks like when one is Yielding to the power of the Spirit. Now, remember, Jesus came down and died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. The Bible teaches that anyone that places their faith solely on the person and work of Jesus Christ passes from death to life. Solely on Jesus. That moment that we place our faith in Jesus, there's a lot of realities that happen. One of those realities that happen is now we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it's our job as a believer to yield to that spirit who empowers us to say yes to what is right and no to what is wrong. Paul's describing this reality of yielding to the spirit uh, of, of what this looks like, right? So in verse 18, notice he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. It's not an issue of I only get half, and so I got to do something now to get the rest of it. This idea of fullness is this idea of control. 
It's very similar to the phrase that's used in the book of Acts, and they were filled with anger. They were filled with joy. It's the idea of it's the controlling factor in one's life. So, so it's the idea of one's being controlled by the Spirit. And notice that then all of a sudden we start talking to each other uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we're starting to sing and make melody. And notice we're giving thanks always. And we're submitting to one another. And then notice how this transforms a family. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So there automatically then becomes this living the commands that God gives. Right? And then it says, and then husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is also the head of the church and his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wife should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your own wives. By the way, both of those commands for the wife to submit and the husband to love, they're not contingent on each other. Meaning that a husband can't say, I'm not going to love you because you're not submissive. Wrong. The husband loves, regardless of what the wife does. And a wife can't say, well, I'm not going to be submissive if uh, you don't give me what I want. Wrong. When the Spirit comes and we're being controlled by the Spirit, there is this thing that happens. And and though men and women are created equal, they, they are created with different function. Right? And this is that function that plays out. It's harmonious, and it's beautiful, and it's the way they complement each other. Husbands and wives complement each other. This isn't a, this isn't a fighting. This is, this is a harmonious display to the world of the gospel and the way that the church reacts to Jesus. And, and it's a demonstration of Jesus. And when it's, when it's done correctly, it, you get Christ, and you see Christ in this relationship. Right? This is a beautiful thing. By the way, I would say this. Husbands, we have a far greater task in this text than I think the wives. i got to be honest, um, I'm still amazed that my wife submits to such an idiot like me. But I will say this, husbands, we must love our wives like Christ loved the church. Yep, and all that that means, all that that means. And then notice in 6.1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This, what, what happens when, the whole, when, when, when people are submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit? You have, you have this domestic bliss, you have this harmony, you have this picture of the gospel, and you have children obeying their parents. And notice what Paul says. He says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So, so even Paul here is, is appealing to the children, saying, look, it's in your best interest that you listen and you honor your father and mother. But then notice what he then says, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The father is to make sure that the child is brought up in a way that is living for the Lord, according to the New Testament, and the instructions that are found in the New Testament. This means that the father is the theologian of the family. The father is the teacher. The father is the one to make sure that this is happening. But another thing can happen, and Paul addresses this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How can fathers do this? We've all had fathers. I'm sure our fathers have been tough on us, strict on us, 
Some fathers acted in ways that they thought was best for us and our need. And what did they do in some of their strictness? They went overboard, as I do and as all fathers do. And the way that they discipline makes a child feel like the child cannot do anything right. Seems to be one of those disciplines where it's all stick and no carrot. Right? It seems to be a lot of, a lot of discipline, no encouragement. It seems, it seems as if some, some parents have the idea that I'm going to break the entire person. When, when it's very clear here that the goal is to train a child to break the sinful nature or, or, or help them in their struggle with sin without breaking their heart in the process. Right? That, that, that seems to be what Paul is advocating here. And I think one of the ways that we can... We can help each other and pray for one another and encouragement that we can have for one another is this. Make sure that the the things that are punished in your house are directly uh, breaking God's law. So, for example, punishments should be for lying, for stealing, yes. For disobeying parents, yes. Punishments should not be for stop being annoying, doesn't mean that we can't say, hey, stop that. And if they don't, then we say, now you're being disobedient. See, the issue is that they're breaking God's law. They're not breaking my law. They're breaking God's law. Man, I, I remember when I was in Little League, fathers would get upset at their sons, start yelling at their sons from the bleachers when they missed a grounder at shortstop. Guess what, Dad? Your kid's not playing shortstop for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's not getting paid millions of dollars. That is a... 13-year-old kid who's playing baseball for fun. It's okay he missed the play at shortstop. We as parents, we got to make sure that we're training them and teaching them. And this is, this is what it looks like to train a child. This is what it looks like for, for godly parents. Now, if we go back to Proverbs 22, notice, notice the, the principle here. Do not view this as a promise. This is a principle. It's a sound principle. So if you train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is not a promise. Um, I'm sure there are many parents who taught their children in the way of the Lord, prayed for their kids every day, was diligent in teaching them, and their kids still walked away. And I imagine that some of you will look at your life and go, what did we do wrong? What didn't we do? Could we have done this more? Could we have done that more? Obviously, we're all sinners, and obviously there are things that we always could have done. But don't put that on yourself. Remember, they're the Lord's, and your job was to be a good steward. If you were obedient, then you were obedient. And praise the Lord for your obedience. If the result is not necessarily what you thought it should have looked like, or they walked away from the Lord, that is not on your parenting abilities. Unless you actively taught them how to rob a convenience store, right? That is on them. Their sin is their own. You have to remember that. Their sin is their own. I must be still obedient, and I still must love them, Pray for them every time I get opportunity to advise them. Guess what my advice is going to be? Biblical advice. But, th- but this is the principle. The principle is all things being equal, it, it, 
when you train a child like this, it sticks. That's the principle. It sticks. If you train them in the ways of the Lord, it sticks. This is, this is, your, this is your goal. Your goal is to train them for life after the house. The, the goal is to train them so that they live for the Lord and they please the Lord and that they're wise and they make wise decisions. That's the goal, and that, that's what you're doing things for, and that's the principle. You train them, and you, you expose them to the word. You teach them the word. You train them, and the principle is if the Lord gets a hold of their life, that is a lifelong committed believer to the Lord Jesus Christ for his honor and for his glory. Obviously, the principle is also sound then that the desire would then be that your children would then train their children, and then their children would then train their children. That's the desire. But this is the principle. By the way, when it, the word here for old uh, means to grow mature, I will let you fill in what mature means. It means your hair turns colors. And the word for departing is this idea of a spiritual fidelity to the Lord. There's a strong spiritual fidelity. As a parent, that should be our goal, is that our children live for the Lord and not necessarily live for us. And that, and that they are dedicated to him, and they're dedicated to the service of the Lord. That, that should be our goal. You know, I, uh, when Chris and I get that rare occasion to go out by ourselves, we do this fun thing. We sit in the corner of a restaurant, and we judge all the other parents for being such bad parents. It's fun for that one hour. I'm joking. No, most of the time, we're mouthing to the people across the restaurant, I am praying for you. I understand what that's like to take a kid to a nice restaurant. You order them what they order, what they want, chicken nuggets, french fries, and chocolate milk, and then they still blow up at you like you treated them like garbage. And they're weeping and falling on the ground, and all the other people are, what's wrong with them? And you're always looking for that one parent that's looking at you like, I get it. I I understand and I, there, there are times where we, we try to tell our boys, you need to especially be good. And I, I just want to say this, that when we went back for my wife's grandfather's funeral, I scared them beyond, I said, you will not live if you act bad uh, at this funeral. And they acted good. And people came up and said, your children are well behaved. And I said, us? Our kids? No. They, they were very well behaved. There's also been times where my kids have not behaved. They acted like children. They acted like immature little sinners that they are. Because that's what they are. They're immature. They, they do immature things. They're children. They're supposed to do what children do. And, and me and Krista, as we respond to that, we, we responded to what happened. Somebody came back to us after watching us respond and said, well, how could you let your kids do that, blah, 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 blah. Well, we did let them do it. They did it, and we responded. And they reamed us. And, you know, one of the sense that we had walking away was, why do we even try? Because if we're doing our hardest and the kids are still failing, well, then there's no hope. Now, I don't say this to shame. I don't say to say, woe is us. I, I say this as an illustration to demonstrate the power of encouragement and the power of critiquing, right? The destructive power of critiquing. So I realized that there's a mixed group here. There's, pe- there's parents who have kids who are still being trained, and then there are some who your kids have already been trained or there's no kids. 
And so I want to give two sets of advice closing out the sermon. The, the first piece of, I want, of advice I want to give is I want to give to as a church as a general. What can we as a church be doing to help the parents in our church and, and help them in training? And I would say this. Number one, the, the best thing that you can do is encourage parents. And this is what I mean. I mean you pray for them by name, each kid, each parent. You pray for them. I think sometimes you have to recognize when parents are struggling and realize that that's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. And I think you politely and humbly go up to them and patiently and with gentleness say, I just want to let you know I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your family. I know things are tough. I know things are tough for you, for you and your kids. I, I realize how difficult this is. I realize the difficult task this is. I just want you to be reminded of this passage that, you know, when you're faithful to the Lord and you faithfully train up your kids, the promises are the, the principle is that they'll grow up to be, to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and humbly encourage them and build them up, come beside them. Of course, if they're doing a terrible job, you'd still do the same thing. You encourage them to live for the Lord and encourage their children to live for the Lord. But, but I think encouragement is a really important thing. Uh, Trust me, every time my kid acts up, I know that my kid was acting up. And I know that it was wrong. And I know that he shouldn't do it. I don't need another person coming up and telling me your kid shouldn't have done that. I know that. And I guarantee you every parent in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, we don't need that. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. We need your help and we need your advice. I would say another thing just to help. Let's get to know the kids of the church. There's a lot of little kids, and they're great. They're great kids. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Take them out for ice cream, right? There's lots of things that we can do to encourage, get them involved inside of the church. There's a thing that's happening in church, modern church, where kids will grow up, and then when they get older and they go into college, they leave. And one of the things of why they asked why do they leave is because they didn't feel connected, Right? Because we've created this culture where there's little kid thing and then there's adult thing. And there was, no, there was no help to transition them from little kid thing to adult thing. But the kids that remain faithful, you want to know what the main thing was? People taking interest in their life, praying for them, and caring for them. That's how a church can come alongside and help. For parents, I'm going to get a little sterner here. We have to remember that our job is to train our children. That's our job. Our job is to be the trainers, the teachers, the theologians. It starts with us fathers. Us fathers must be godly men. I wish we could freeze time. We could work through all of our stuff. We could get rid of a lot of stuff and then press play, and then we'd be great fathers right from then. We don't have that luxury. We have to work on the fly right now. And so we must be committed to following the Lord, and we must be the major spiritual encouragers of the family. That is it. That is our biblical responsibility. We have to do it now. Mothers, I'm so appreciative of mothers. Mothers spend a lot of time with children. Um, Mothers are the ones that spend a lot of time with children, and they're the ones that are consistently with the children, teaching the children. Mothers, stick to it. Stick to teaching the word. I know it gets tough. I, I I know with Krista, I get that call, I need to go to Walmart without the kids 
Yes, I, I, I gladly do that. But just know this, moms, stay strong, teach them the word, show them a godly example of a godly woman, of a godly woman. Show them what it looks like to be godly in the midst of incredible annoyance of someone screaming your name 3,000 times a day. Parents, you got to be one, you got to train together. You got to make sure that, that you're, you're staying constant and diligent. You're holding each other accountable. You got to be a unit. And I would say this, parents, it's important for us to get together. It's important for us to hang out, our kids hang out. It's important for us to hang out with people that don't have kids. It's important for, ki- it's important for people of the Lord to hang out with people of the Lord. That's helpful. That's helpful for us. It's helpful for my kids. You help my kids grow And then lastly, the most important is we must pray for our kids. I'm going to end with this. I'm sorry if I go over, but probably a lot of you have heard of the preacher Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon came from a very, very uh, godly family. His grandfather was known as one of the great preachers of the time. His father was a preacher. Um, Probably didn't know this about Charles Spurgeon, though, that the first first decade or so of his life, he was a hellion. So bad, so bad that his father, who was a pastor of a church, could not control him and had to send him away to his grandfather to try to rein in Spurgeon. There were times where Spurgeon's mother said, I can't go to church today. Spurgeon, you need to go to church to listen to your dad. She stayed at home weeping and praying for her son that the Lord would save his soul. That prayer from those parents, God used mightily. Now, I don't want to put Spurgeon on a pedestal, but that's somebody we all know. And I'm sure in each of our lives, there are parents tearfully praying for children. And I encourage parents Tearfully pray for the spiritual life of your children. Be their major advocate before the Lord and pray on your knees for them. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we are so very thankful for everything that you've given us. We're so very thankful for godly parents and parents that have come into our lives and people who have acted like our parents and taught us and trained us and equipped us. Father, we just ask that you would be with us who, as we have children in our midst. Help us be a group of believers that care about the spiritual well-being of children. Be with us as a church as we encourage parents to parent their children and train their children. Be with us as parents that we would do things in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you. Uh, We are just so very thankful for children and the precious gift that they are. Uh, We just ask that as we leave this place that you would help us be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen.